like the Wi-Fi I know, the pots I know, the brown skin I recognize. And then there are parts that I don't understand that I'd have to fill in the blanks. Like what's beneath the Wi-Fi? Is there another person? Those kind of things. Welcome to Art is Human Nature, a podcast where art meets the expert, a podcast where I, the artist, speak with people who know a lot about the ideas I try to capture in my work. I'm your host, Alexander Robinson. For this episode, I'm here today with Stephanie Yates Anibwile, who is a licensed associate family and marriage therapist. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a guest on the show. I know this is going to be a special episode. So to get into things, how did you get into the field of work you're in? I think working with families and helping people work through their relationships is such an interesting and fascinating career. So I'm very curious as to how you got into that field of work and what inspired you to pursue it. Yeah. So actually, I'd say it was my dad. My dad was the biggest force in me finding this career. I went to college just like everybody else, you know, kind of floating and I came from an arts high school, so I just, you know, went with what I know, and I was like, okay, I'll just be a theater major. And after a while, I realized that's not what I want to do, and I was panicking and talking to my dad about it, and he was really encouraging, as always. And he said to me, I was always surprised that you didn't end up going into something to do with, like, love or relationships. And in that moment, he just said that in passing, but in that moment, I'm thinking, wait, is there a career option where I could, you know, focus on that? So after our conversation, I just Googled marriage career. And the first thing that popped up was marriage and family therapy. And once I looked at what you do in this field and with that career, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, it's all about looking for patterns, helping people communicate better, helping people take accountability, you know, and really emphasizing the importance of healthy relationships. And so after I learned a little bit about what it was and I guess a little bit about the process, I knew I wanted to do it. And so, you know, I took a bit of a detour <laughs> and worked corporate, but and I, the desire never left. And I ended up ultimately quitting my corporate job, pursuing this in grad school, and I've never looked back. It's really cool that your father was kind of able to shed that light for you to help you find that passion. That's that's really awesome. I find it really fascinating, you know, like you work with people and obviously communication and love is a very big aspect of your work. But it makes me wonder, like, I've heard people say this all the time, and it can, it can be applied to a lot of uh, career choices. But a lot of people say you have your relationship with your loved ones and your family, but you also have a relationship with your career. So it kind of has me thinking for you, as someone who works with people for relationships, how has that been sorting through your relationship with your career? So I would say that, you know, when I mentioned taking that detour and working corporate, I think that was the best experience I could have before working in this job because it just really emphasized for me the difference between working a job where you are literally just waking up to 
get that paycheck versus you wake up for the work that you do. And so my relationship with my my work is very strong and healthy. And my husband for my graduation, when I graduated from marriage and family therapy in grad school, he gave me this box of cards. It's called Conversations for Couples. One of the questions it asked was, you know, if you could quit your job, what would you do? And I think a lot of people had answers about really their preferred careers. And I was like, I already quit my job and I'm doing what I want to do. This is absolutely, you know, the career for me does not feel like work. Ever since I was a little kid, the reason my dad even said, you know, I thought you'd be in something with love and relationships. Since I was a kid, I was so fascinated with what family dynamics look like or what you know, relationships look like. I would go to people's houses. I would look at pictures of families and I would point to each person in the picture and ask like, are they married? Is that their kid? And, you know, they're trying to explain to me like blended family dynamics and things. And I just love to talk about it. And so, you know, my relationship with this career is, you know, I don't know, it couldn't be any healthier. I think sometimes when you look at that paycheck at the end of the week, sometimes, you know, you're like, you know, like when I was working corporate, you you could spend money just not even thinking about it. But you know, now you have to be a lot more cognizant, you know, mental health is not one of those fields where you're always going to be making a ton of money. But even despite that, it's still what I love to do. So I absolutely agree. You do have a relationship with your job. And I'm happy to be in a place now where that relationship is actually healthy. One of the first questions that came to mind for me, because I've never I've never had this luxury and this opportunity to speak with someone who works in your field. So I feel like the elephant in the room when it comes to the topic of relationships is love, you know, and it's this huge word and there's this whole history behind it. So I really wanted to ask you as someone who works in this field where this word probably plays a very huge role in your day to day. I wanted to ask you what the big L-O-V-E love word means for you. For me, and there are so many different interpretations of love, the definition I go back to or my understanding is based on how I feel. And I think that when I feel like I can be my most authentic, vulnerable self, you know, show the good sides and the bad sides, the sides that other people might find annoying, that's when I feel like I'm in a loving environment and I try to provide the people I love with that type of space as well is just, you know, true authenticity. That's what love is to me. Um, and I think we do throw that word love around a lot, you know, just telling people when you get off the phone, I love you. And I do mean that. But in those situations, I think love is more synonymous with care. You know, I care. And I think that when I actually love someone, it has a bigger responsibility there to create a space for them where I can, you know, encourage them and support them even in times where they might be frustrating, times where it might be disappointing. And that's exactly, you know, what I want in return. So that's what love means to me is creating a really open and safe space. Wow, that's a really beautiful answer. Definitely going to think on that after this. Like you mentioned, it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And for some people, love is just a feeling. For some people, love is an action. And, you know, with what you're getting at with this idea of, you know, like with love creating like a safe space and a space where people can be authentic. I think, yeah, that's that's a really beautiful thing. 
it also kind of gets me thinking when it comes to, you know, the word love, a common way that society uses it. And I'm pretty sure we all have done this at some point, but a lot of us use the phrase falling in love and it's used very frequently. But recently I've come across a lot of stuff that have pointed out how that phrase can have a sort of negative connotation to it, which which is totally new to me because because it's it's been so ingrained. I've never thought twice whenever I've used that phrase, falling in love. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that phrase? So I've personally never had a problem with the phrase. I'll start with that. So I'm pretty good about having my perspective and then trying to put on another person's perspective, if people were to challenge that phrase, my assumption would be that the challenge is that falling in love means that there is no effort required to being in love. Is that what you're seeing the challenge with that phrase being? Yeah, it's yeah, it's exactly that. Okay, so yeah, I could definitely see the problem with that. And I'll give an example. I don't know. Do you watch Married at First Sight? No, that one I've never seen. Okay, okay. So Married at First Sight, it's a show where you have strangers meet at the altar. They're paired by experts. And those experts basically match them, they say scientifically, as compatible. And they get married at the altar. And after eight weeks, they decide if they want to stay married. One of the recurring problems that happens on that show is that you'll inevitably have one person or maybe both people who say, you know, I could see myself falling in love with them. I've never been in love before, or I've been in love. I've fallen in love too fast. I don't want to say that. And, you know, you'll normally have one of the experts at least saying, well, why is falling in love this big milestone that you're putting so many expectations around? Sometimes love is in what we do for a person, what we're willing to do for a person. And it's not that's just going to happen to us one day we wake up and we're in love. And I, I absolutely do agree with that. But I do think there is something to be said about chemistry. And I think that when you have chemistry with the person, that can be that to me is like the spark that can ignite true like romantic love and connection. And I don't think you can really fabricate that, you know, and I think sometimes the experts on that show, for example, sometimes they're trying to convince people like, you know, you could love them. Stop saying that, you know, you're not in love. And I do think, though, even if they're not in love, that chemistry, you can't always fabricate and create chemistry like it's either there or it's not. So I do think that the term falling in love can let people off the hook a little bit and that, oh, I just don't feel it immediately. And I think you can work your way up to that. But if there's just absolutely no chemistry, you and this person have completely different life goals, you hang around different kind of people, you're looking for different things in a partner, it's probably going to be hard to build love from that kind of foundation. So I do think that when people say falling in love, they're talking about just that natural, innate chemistry. And I do think you can build from there. But I absolutely understand why people have a problem with that phrase, because a lot of people use it to kind of get themselves off the hook. I definitely got to check out that show you mentioned. Just off of hearing about it, it seems like it would be pretty fun to watch. But with with the falling in love idea, it kind of has me thinking, because I like I totally agree with you with the idea that it can be like the chemistry, you know, and how chemistry is is so key and it's not something you can fake. But in that same vein, do you think people can fall out of love 
and fall back into it? Like, can that chemistry go away and come back? That's a great question. But we know that people can fall out of love and back in. That's not a question. But now you bring up a great point about, well, what does that say about chemistry? And this is why I I create, you know, for me, I compartmentalize them as two separate things. Being in love with someone, like we said, if I view that as creating a safe space for that person, loving them authentically and allowing myself to be open and authentic with them, can you fall out of that? And I think we can. I think especially we talk long-term relationships, sometimes people choose paths that just shock the crap out of you. You know, maybe you have a person who when you got with them and you guys were 20 years old, they were a risk taker. They were this just this person that lived, you know, on the edge. But then life happens, maybe they lose some significant people in their life and they start becoming more cautious. And they might not be that person that you've developed that chemistry with at the beginning. We grow, we evolve, we change. And I do think that it's it's totally possible for a person to fall out of love in a way that maybe who this person is when they are their authentic selves, that's just, that doesn't jive with who you are anymore. I think that's possible. And I think you can absolutely come back together. Let's say you go through some major differences when you have your teens in the house. Maybe one parent feels you guys should be more flexible with them. And the other person feels like you should be stricter just based on your own past experiences. Now, what happens when you're empty nesters and you don't have that conflict stressing you out anymore you know can you get back to what made you fall in love with each other in the first place you know or is your humor back when you got those pressures of getting the person out the house those kids out the house off of your shoulders can you reconnect and I've seen it happen you know and I've seen the opposite where some people are connected through the kids the kids leave and they're like well we don't have anything in common anymore so yeah i do believe you can fall in and out absolutely i think you can fall in and out when it comes to chemistry and love and it's also good to hear that you've seen kind of both where people have kind of been able to figure it out and in some cases it just just doesn't pan out it kind of gets me thinking with this idea of like love and chemistry and you kind of got into it a little bit you know this thing of like things in life happening and people kind of changing. And it makes me think of this idea of, you know, like the fact that every day we change a little bit. Every day, like something happens in our day and like, it's just like a little, like the smallest change, but over time, like for me, like I can think back a couple of years ago and I'm like, oh man, I'm a completely different person. And for some of us, we think back to let's say high school and we're like, oh man, I'd be so embarrassed if anyone knew who I was back then. So it makes me wonder, what do you think is the key? Because I think this is one of maybe like the hardest things I've found with relationships. But what do you think is the key to two people building a life together, but growing together, which means like they're changing together. But what do you think is the key to growing and changing, but still kind of maintaining that chemistry, even though you you guys are changing as people all the time? Yeah, I think it's two things. And I speak partly from experience. I've been with my husband for 11 years. And during that time, we've never broken up. We've been married for five of those years. And 
of course we have changed during that time. I don't know if this happens to you, but do you ever look back on like your Facebook memories and like old posts you've written and you're like, oh my God, like I'm so glad nobody can see this, you know? But a lot of those posts, I was with him at that time, you know? So I know that, you know, we've both changed a lot during that time. I think there's two things. The first thing is you have to be honest with yourself about who you are. And what some people do that by journaling. Some people do that through therapy. You know, some people do it with open conversation with close friends and family. You need to be constantly checking in with yourself to ask how these especially major events, how are they changing you? You know, how are you when you have money? How are you when you don't have money? Those different things where you should be very familiar with yourself because a lot of times we expect our significant others to just catch up with us when we haven't even really caught up with ourselves. You know, What I hear more often than not, when couples come to me, they usually come to therapy as a last resort, right? Like they, one or both of them doesn't believe the relationship is really salvageable, but they're like, for the sake of the kids or for the sake of whatever, we're going to give therapy a shot. And most of the time when I say, so when did things change? They can't put their finger on it. And that's a sign that you really have not been paying attention. You know, what we do is we get so used to the routine of life. You wake up at this time, you hop in your car, you sit through traffic, you get go to work. You don't realize you hate your job. You leave that job, you know, and your schedule is so routine, but it's like, okay, your schedule might not be changing, but maybe you are, right? And so I think paying attention to your changes, being honest with yourself first, And then vocalizing those changes to your partner. The biggest problem I see with relationships is that people are not open with each other. You would think, sometimes I see people who've been together for so many years and the secrets that come out in therapy that they didn't share. A lot of times they start off as really little things, you know, like they'll say, you know, so I started not coming straight home. I would go and sit in this parking lot for an hour because I just I was I didn't want to come home. And, you know, it's that's like a small thing. OK, you're not cheating you're just in a parking lot. Right. But then that builds and builds and you start realizing like, man, I love going to this parking lot and I hate going home. OK, then you start calling up somebody that you used to not talk to. And, you know, it just builds. But it could have started with telling your partner, even though it's awkward, uncomfortable, hurtful. You know, I'm realizing that when I get off a long day from work, I no longer look forward to coming home. So being honest about those things, even when it's really uncomfortable, really scary, when it could shake some things up, allowing yourself to be open, I think, is one way to help the process of growth and change and evolution, talking to each other and being honest about how you're feeling about yourself, them, and then each other. Yeah, I think honesty is so key with that stuff. And kind of like what you were saying, honesty, not just with your partner, but honesty with ourselves. You know, I think that's that's huge. And I think a lot of the times people forget about that. You know, people forget that you can be dishonest with yourself as like strange as, as strange as that might sound. But I wanted to get into and you kind of mentioned it, you know, as you're talking about like the couples that come in and the couples that you see. But throughout your experience, 
working with all these different people, what have you found to be the biggest misconception people have about relationships? I love to say this, you know, but it is very controversial and I have been challenged on it. I still stand by it though. And that is that that assumption that relationships are hard work. I hear that all the time. And I think when we allow ourselves to hold that narrative as truth, we what we think we're doing is bracing ourselves for hard times so that we don't give up. But I think what actually happens is that we justify behaviors and decisions that actually do make our relationships hard. And so I try not to believe that. And I say that being with, with my husband now for 11 years, we both agree like, our relationship is in hard work. You know, it's harder work putting my YouTube videos out, filming them than it is being married, you know, and that's how it should be, right? To me, a relationship should represent like peace. You should be able to be yourself. You should be able to use that relationship to make, you know, put other things you're dealing with into perspective. So I think that that assumption that all relationships are hard work you know, a lot of times it also makes us ignore red flags. If you're with somebody and it feels like a lot of work, you know, maybe that's not the person you should be marrying or, you know, investing in a future with. I know a lot of couples who would agree and have agreed that relationships do not have to be hard work. I remember, I don't know if you've seen this video, but I, I did a video with GQ where we broke down couples fighting. And there was a guy on on the crew there. He'd been married for over 35 years. And I actually said that they actually cut it out the video. um, Me saying that relationships don't have to be hard work. And, you know, when we got to a break, somebody was like, well, what are you thinking, John? I mean, you've been married for 35 years. He said, I agree with everything she said. And the thing I love and agree with the most is that relationships do not have to be hard work. And this is from a man who's been married for 35 years. So. I do, I do think there's some power with letting go that expectation and it might help us like stabilize ourselves and make better selections in our partners so that that doesn't have to be our reality. That's really fascinating. Um, and I, I understand why it's a controversial take because I think like the idea that relationships are work and that they're hard is, I feel like that's something you hear like all the time. So I feel like it's really going against the grain by saying the opposite. But I think it's so true. So yeah, it's I'm definitely gonna be thinking about that. I like I, I wish that was a more widely shared opinion because yeah, I think it's important for people to know that that's not really the case. You know, like relationships, it's the idea that relationships need to be or are supposed to be hard. I think that's it's great that you're 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 sharing that and you're speaking out on that. So Again, in terms of relationships, we kind of got into the idea of should relationships be difficult inherently or should they not? And the idea of growing together. And these are all like factors that play into relationships. But I want to get into um, an external kind of uh, societal thing that has, I think, altered all of our relationships in, in some way. And um, that is modern technology. Maybe like going back like 10 years ago or something when like the internet was like kind of a thing, not so much. But I think we're at this point now where technology has impacted for better or worse, all of our relationships, whether they're in our family, you know, and it's like, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but having, you know, family, um, like my grandmother, who's like obsessed with WhatsApp, 
because it gave it gives her this way to talk to family back home in Trinidad. And we don't have to go to the store to buy calling cards, you know, like technology, how it's affected all of those relationships. But I wanted to ask you when it comes to family relationships and intimate relationships, what what are your thoughts on how modern technology has affected that? And especially with dating apps on the rise and how that's kind of been this normal way for people to meet and, and talk to each other. How do you think technology has affected those things? And do you think it's been more positive or more negative overall? And it's so weird to think too, how the internet has been a part of our lives for so long now. I mean, I would say probably more like 20 years ago. That's the last time we can say that maybe it wasn't as a part of our lives as it is now. But, you know, I think just like with everything, you've got your good things and your bad things. And I think like social media gets a bad rep, which I can understand, you know, that enemy of comparison and, you know, looking down on our own lives, our own relationships because of what is presented on social media. That, of course, is negative. You know, we were never designed to have this much access to other people. You might be the most beautiful person in your community, but you look at some celebrity that you probably never would have really seen what they look like without makeup, without the glitz and glam, 50 years ago especially, and now you see what they're doing, what they're having for lunch. And so that comparison aspect, I think, can be very, very detrimental to our mental health and our relational health. But I do think, like you were saying with your grandmother, that that access to more people, that being able to stay in touch with people that we haven't seen is so powerful to keep us connected, but we don't want to become overly reliant on it, right? You know, in a year like what we just had, you know, in 2020 and part of 2021 with the pandemic, not being able to to see anybody in person, thank goodness for technology, right? Being able to still know what's happening in the homes of people that I love, but that doesn't replace that hug or replace that shoulder for somebody to cry on or replace hearing that person's gut-wrenching laughter, feeling the vibrations, you know, of a person singing. It doesn't it doesn't replace that. And so it's really important that we find a balance. I think you don't want to be overly reliant. I think it's still totally worth it to make that trip to see some family members who are far away every now and then. Now, you know, being safe, I'm not saying right now necessarily with the pandemic, but when as soon as it's safe and all clear, definitely making sure that's a priority. You don't want FaceTime, in my opinion, you don't want FaceTime to replace that genuine in-person human connection. I see a lot of kids uh, and it's really, I was talking with some colleagues about this recently, how most of the kids we see, you know, I'll ask them, you know, do you have friends or who is your best friend? None of the kids that I see feel that they have friends or a best friend. And I think it's because, you know, so much has moved online. Like their closest friends are on like Roblox, right? And so they're not even really friends with kids in their class. And that saddens me. I don't want us to lose human connection and the value of like real relationships because we can maintain a connection online but I, I think it's hard sometimes to really develop one and to to solidify one exclusively online you still need I think some time to meet them in person and and, and get to know their quirks and who they are when you're around them 
that kind of makes me think of, and it's like a big cliche, but you know, the phrase quality over quantity and, and kind of like with the idea that with technology, it's, it's been so great in the fact that, like you're saying, we have this access to people and we have access to like the whole world pretty much. And even like when it comes to like kids and their friends, being able to talk with other kids from other parts of the world, yet alone their class. And then even with people who are dating and being able to like swipe through whoever, but it, it definitely makes me think about, you know, like that quality, you know, it's like the quantity's there and the quantity is, is bigger than it's ever been. But it makes you think maybe the quality of relationships has maybe suffered a little bit. But I guess uh, specifically with dating apps, how, how do you feel about them? I, you know, I think dating apps are wonderful when used how you want to use them. I think if you're on there just for hookups, that's totally fine. Just be clear about that so that people who don't want to just hook up aren't reaching out to you and hoping that they can build something when really all you want to do is hook up there for every person on there that wants to hook up. There's another person who wants to do the same thing. So just be real and honest. You know, if you know, you just got out of a relationship and you're not looking for anything serious, make that clear. I know a lot of people who have met their spouses on dating apps. So I don't, judge people for being on them, meeting people on them. I know people who've met people on Facebook, Instagram, Tinder. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just a way of meeting people. It's what happens when you meet them in person. If there's the chemistry, if there's that that bond there where you can like allow it to grow. Um, so I, you know, I'm a big fan of them. I, if I have clients who are wanting to date, I will ask them if they're on dating apps. A lot of them have a reluctance about it. Like, oh, I could be getting catfished and all these things, which is true, it, which is true. But listen, you can meet a man at the grocery store and he could still be lying to you about himself. So, you know, at least with this, you got checks and balances about their social media, like that lining up with what they're putting on these dating apps. They have some sort of verification in place. So, you know, if you're really saying that your main focus right now is to find partnership and a companion, then why turn your nose up to it, right? Try it. Why not? If you'd like to see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes or you can visit artbyrobinson.com/slash art is human nature. I repeat, if you'd like to follow along and see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes, or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. All right, let's get back to the episode. You know, while we're on this topic of relationships and how they interact with technology's influence, I'd like to share the piece for this episode. For anyone listening, the title of this piece is At Your Best, You Are Love. So for you, Stephanie, looking at the piece, the first thing I want to ask you is, how does it make you feel? Well, first I want to say, I love the title. Ever since I read that, I have been singing that song nonstop. And when I look at this piece, it makes me introspective, I'd say. It it puts me in my head. It's not one of those 
you know, portraits where you just look right at it and you know what you're looking at, which is my favorite. You know, it's my favorite to look at something and have to be a deep thinker and have to constantly ask myself, are you going too far? Are you reaching? I like those kind of conversations where I'm trying to apply it to my own life. So the way it makes me feel is introspective. I try to see where can I see myself in that painting. Let's say you're at a gallery at some sort of art show and you're with a friend or something and your friend turns to you and you, like you guys are in front of this piece and your friend turns to you and they ask, what does it mean? What do you think you would say? Hmm. I think that the first thing I would notice, you know, af after the pots, obviously Wi-Fi in the right corner, picking up on that and looking at how the first couple of bars on there looks like it's some kind of natural material, maybe wood, if we see a bird on there, a bee. So maybe like a blend or how, I guess when you think Wi-Fi, you think connect, right? And thinking about like maybe the difference between order artificial versus organic connection, organic being represented possibly by the wood. Now here's the thing, that second pot, I'm not sure if I see a body around it. That's the thing that is is plaguing me, that makes me like, is it two people, you know, two pot people, or is it one? When I see the thing beneath the Wi-Fi logo, for some reason, it looks like a fish to me, but I know that's wrong, but that's what, I, like for some reason, I keep looking at it, I'm like, that looks like a fish, but I know it's not. I'm curious what that is. Is that the shirt of the other person? I don't know what that is. So if I were at an art gallery, I think, you know, just as with any art, my when I go to art galleries, I don't want to understand right away. Like I said, I like to be a little confused and fill in the blanks myself. And so those are some of the things that I would feel comfortable with. That's really fascinating. When you uh, mentioned the Wi-Fi, that was like a, a very big thing for me when I was like creating this piece because I knew I wanted to like get into relationships a little bit, but I didn't want it to be super obvious. But then I kept thinking about like technology and thinking about how like, yeah, like that plays into all of our relationships. So the first thing that popped in my head was Wi-Fi because we need a strong signal to do things. But then also the idea that Wi-Fi is like a connection and how, you know, even with our relationships, that connection can waver sometimes. And sometimes the signal's not as strong and you guys aren't quite communicating as well as you usually do and how that can fluctuate sometimes. And you hope that like all the bars don't drop, you know, because that's that's not fun. But that idea that it's a fluctuating thing and sometimes where all the bars are full and we're perfectly in sync and sometimes you only have three or two bars. So that was a big thing I wanted to get across. But another thing as well with this piece is when I was trying to like sketch it out and figure out what I wanted to do, I was kind of looking into like relationships and I was trying to find like interesting quotes about like love. And I came across this quote from this woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I'm paraphrasing. She pretty much said there are only two human emotions. And she said there's there's love and there's fear. And she said every other emotion and every other thing we feel is a derivative of either love or fear. So it's just a different type of love. It's just a different type of uh, fear. So when I saw that quote, it really got me thinking about like these two things. 
you know, that make up the whole. So it's like love and fear. And then when I started thinking about technology, I started thinking, well, like, what's the thing that makes up, you know, all of these programs and all this stuff? It's ones and zeros, you know, which for me was kind of like ones and zeros, love and fear. So then uh, that kind of plays into like, like ones and zeros kind of, you know, being placed along the piece. And also the fact that, you know, the Wi-Fi signal isn't strong. So the image is kind of fragmented, it's kind of dis uh, disoriented and it's kind of glitchy. Certain things can be made out pretty clearly, but certain things are kind of like, hey, what, what is that? But yeah, that was kind of like the basis of my thinking with the piece. But I wanted to ask you, so what, what do you think about that idea of love and fear being like the main two emotions? Well, first I have to say, I just love everything you just explained about that piece. And I know, and I also loved what you said earlier about not feeling like you're the only person who can understand a piece or that your understanding is the only truth for even your own pieces, um, the ones and the zeros. That's really powerful to me. And now understanding that that glitchiness was intentional it just really speaks to your genius. But I really, that really struck a chord with me. And I'll be thinking about that after this podcast. But I, I agree with her. I think when my clients come to me and they tell me that they're angry about something or they're hurt about something or they're anxious about something, it usually always has to do with fear. And I'll ask them, you know, if you had to pick one thing that makes you the most afraid in this situation, and, and usually that's the core thing that we're really talking about here. So the idea of either operating in love or fear, I really, I really agree with that. And I'm happy to have that language now. While we're talking about art and previously we're talking about um, relationships and love, one thing that I find really interesting is I don't know if they're the only two words, but I know love and art are both these rare words that have meanings that are unique to each person. I feel like most words have like a distinct meaning. It's like when you say couch, you're talking about, you know, everyone's like, yeah, we, we know what you're talking about. Um, but love and art are like these two unique words where they're, they're just different. So I wanted to ask you, going off of just that similarity and continuing from there, do you think there's a connection between the concept of love and art? Without question. But I will say this. I don't think that love requires art necessarily. I think that you can make the argument that love could be an art, um, but I don't think art is possible without love. And whether it be the absence of love and the longing for it, or whether it be just the, the extreme presence, all-encompassing kind of love, that's where the most impactful art is born, I believe. And I think if love is not the core of a piece, even if it's love for creating the piece, right? I don't think it's going to resonate. It's not going to have the reach that a person is hoping for. The idea that love doesn't necessarily need art to exist, but art needs art needs love. You know, like you can't have art without it. 
I, I totally agree with that. So for anyone listening who's found what we've spoken about, you know, to be interesting and they want to learn more about, you know, relationships and, and communication, whether it's because maybe they're a practicing therapist or maybe they're in a relationship and they want tips or anything along those lines, what are some uh, resources you would recommend? So the first thing is, um, I guess, a plug. (laughs) I do have a YouTube channel where I talk about building healthy relationships. And I also have a lot of videos that are geared toward people who want to be marriage and family therapists specifically. If you are one of the people who's just looking to create their best life, create healthy relationships, there's a playlist for that. If you're a person who's interested in becoming a therapist, there's a playlist for that. Now, book-wise, the only book that I would recommend that would be in line with what we've talked about today that I know of, I would say The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. The reason I recommend that book is because even though I think one of the disadvantages is that it can have kind of a religious tint to it. So if you're not Christian, there might be some things in there that could be off-putting, you know, make you kind of alienate the audience a little bit. But I think that it really has universal application regardless of religion, because to me, the main point of that book is there are a lot of different ways to express love and there's a lot of different ways to feel love. And some of us are going to be more prone to feel feeling loved through one thing versus another. And when I talk about being honest with yourself, another example I see all the time is that a lot of times we look at certain things as good and some things as bad. Like one of the love languages he talks about is gift giving, right? I know a lot of people who will admit that they like to give other people gifts, but a lot of people are reluctant to admit that they feel love through gifts. And they don't, it's because they don't want to come off as materialistic, but that can be a hindrance, right? When you're trying to build a relationship with someone and they're trying to figure out how can I show you that I love you? How can you know that this is a good person for you? If you're not even willing to admit to yourself that receiving gifts is your number one way of feeling loved, right? That's an example of what I mean when I say we've got to be honest with ourselves first, Okay, you can't be ashamed of who you are. You got to embrace who you are and then you can allow other people to love you. Another book that comes to mind, if we're talking about worthiness and embracing yourself, Brene Brown has a book that I just finished recently called The Gifts of Imperfection. And the reason now that is not going to talk as much about that romantic love or that, you know, even familial love, that's really talking about self-love, self-acceptance, how to put yourself in positions where you feel like you belong instead of just fighting to fit in, right? Molding yourself so that you can fit in with the group instead of just finding a community where you just already belong, right? So that might be another resource that people would find helpful. Bringing it back because we we gotta we gotta we gotta plug it up we got we gotta we gotta get the plug going. So, <laughs> bringing it back, you mentioned a YouTube channel. <laughs> Where can people find the YouTube channel? What is the YouTube channel called? Yeah, let them know. Yeah, so my YouTube channel is called Stephania, comma MFT. MFT stands for Marriage Family Therapist, and that channel is really for you know I would say three groups of people. It's for the person who is already a therapist and I would say just needs to be like, okay, I'm not alone in this experience in this work. Um, 
the person who wants to be a therapist, maybe you have no idea how to get started with it, or maybe you're in the process, but the next steps still seem murky, or you need some support in certain models or approaches. I have that kind of content. And then the last group, which is going to be most people, which is just the people who are like, well, can I get some therapy insight to create my best life? What are you learning from your clients that I could apply in my daily life so that I have stronger relationships so that I can recognize my own flaws? Those kind of things. I have that content as well. So you'll be able to find a lot of different things. And I'm so open to feedback. You know, a lot of my videos, probably a majority of my videos have been request based. And I always give a shout out if, you know, if I'm making a video based on your request, because I truly appreciate interacting with my subscribers and knowing what they need to learn more about. And so that's the YouTube channel. Be sure to check it out. Um, and let me know if you're coming from this podcast, let me know that you're coming from this podcast because I want to know um, how many of you, you know, are a part of this conversation that Alex and I had today. So final question, a big thing with love, it's a hard thing to describe at times. And I feel like often when there's something that's difficult to describe, a lot of us turn to metaphors. Metaphors can make things a lot more obvious, a lot more clear. Like a common metaphor is life is very hard to explain. But if you say life is like a journey, it's like, oh, okay, I kind of, you know, I kind of get it. So for you, when it comes to metaphors and specifically metaphors for love, what would you say is your personal favorite metaphor for love? That's a great question. I would say maybe thinking about love like nourishment or nutrient. I love that metaphor because that's how I think about love. You know, it's like it can be like a balm to soothe pain, um, but it can also be a catalyst to to push you and propel you into your purpose. On the bad days, it's what I turn to make me feel better. And on the good days, it's what makes my good days exponentially even better. That was such a great answer. So Vincent Van Gogh has this quote that I hold very dearly. And the quote is, there is nothing more truly artistic than to love people. So I would say for me, love is like a work of art. I just want to say thank you so much, Stephanie, for participating with this podcast. I really, really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me and I love the format. There are so many things I'm going to be walking away thinking about from this conversation. And that's the purpose of good open conversation, right? To me is growth and being able to apply it to the next conversation that you have with someone. So thank you so much for everything that you've given me today. This concludes Art is Human Nature. To see the artwork for this episode, visit artbyrobinson.com slash artisthumannature. Until next time.